Hello, and happy Friday to you. This is a bonus episode of Friend of God, and hopefully these will become a normal part of the week for both of us. The messages here are from Friendship Baptist Church in Sturgis, Mississippi, but they are from evening and special services throughout the year. You'll hear mostly Pastor Jeremy, but you will also be hearing from other staff members as well as guests from time to time. We hope you enjoy and learn from the teaching of Dr. Tim Bray provided on today's episode, and that this message ultimately makes you and me more like Christ. Without any further delay, let's jump right into Friendship's first revival message of 2020. was one church, a small Southern Baptist church, that had fed the football team. And I remember coming in, and God was already dealing with me, working on my heart. And I remember coming in, it was very similar to this, and there were like doors coming in, and I remember taking a step in, Jeremy, I was almost like... I was waiting for the roof to collapse. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else in here have that testimony? I was absolutely terrified, and yet inside of me, there was this overwhelming drive to figure out if this Jesus was actually real. Was he really who he said he was? And is there is there something to this gospel that supersedes what everybody else or some people thought or believed? And my experience of walking into a church, if you will, for technically the first time, I'll never forget it. And when I came in that side, it was like, okay. And then my friend took me, we went around back, we came in the front door, which allegedly is the back door. And I remember coming in and about middle way through the road, my whole goal that morning, guys, was to get in, get seated, not be noticed, and see what this whole thing is about. What actually happened was I walked in the door, I scurried through looking at the rafters, making sure it was okay. I took a few steps and then all of a sudden, loud as you can imagine, this girl, even though I'm not gonna name her name in case she happens to have moved to Mississippi, right? Literally turns around, looks at me, and says, and I'll try to do the voice, Tim Bray, what are you doing here? (laughs) Which, by the way, was a good question, right? And everyone knew it. And it was one of those things where, and of course, you know, in, in my mind, my initial thought was, well, what are you doing here? Didn't I see you just last? Well, you don't want to hear about that. And I didn't care. I can't describe to you because there was something going on inside of me that it really didn't matter what anyone else thought, where anyone else was in their own personal journey, as they like to call it. For me, it didn't matter. Because I didn't know what the church was. I didn't know what these songs were. They were singing about cherubim and seraphim. And I'm like, are they speaking in tongues? What are we talking about here? I have no idea what any of this means. I just know that for some reason, I have this insatiable desire to get to Jesus. Can you imagine for a moment? Now, as you're looking at Luke chapter 7, there's someone else who has this exact same experience. But there's more people 
who had the experience similar to the guys who have gathered the church together. They're gathered in a home and they're sitting around this table, which is a very formal thing. And they have invited Jesus to come in. And what I found out is that as the church, you and I are called to love God, right? With all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and to do what, church? See, I like a lot of interaction, all right? So pretend like you're not going to get in trouble for talking in church, amen? So what else, church? What did Jesus say was like unto it? Love your neighbor as yourself. And he also uh, know that as the church, our primary mission, regardless of your spiritual gift, regardless of your background or your past or, or how intelligent or how wealthy or how gifted, that every single one of us are supposed to be a part of Jesus's mission, which is he said on his way to glory and his ascension, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go or as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and this is my favorite part because I'm vertically challenged, and lo, right, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, some of y'all will get that later at dinner, all right? And so I begin to think about what kind of person, what kind of finite person would the God of the universe actually use to carry on something so unbelievably important? This task that is overwhelmingly, uh, as we think about it, and what I want us to look at today is from God's Word, is a shocking yet very beautiful portrait of a most unlikely disciple, an a most unlikely person, a Christ follower, that would be participating in, showing up at, and certainly receiving a revived spirit. What would happen in someone's life that would cause them to pursue Jesus at such an unbelievable cost that would literally shake the walls of the place in which it went down? So show me a picture then. Beyond all of our stereotypes and our ideas and, and all those things, show me someone that God uses. Well, I'm glad you asked, because tonight we're going to be looking at uninvited, an unlikely participant, not me, but an unlikely participant for revival as we go into it. Look with me at verse 36 and verse 37. It says, now, one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster veil of perfume. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, 
in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you will take the perfect and inspired word of God and you would take the truth and the living and active sword of your word and you would penetrate the very depths of our heart, that you would meet us right where we are, that you would shake up the religious God, that even now, Father, that you would, would comfort those who are afflicted and afflict those of us who have gotten too comfortable. May it be your Holy Spirit and your word, God, that moves and works among us, beginning, Father, I pray in me. So, Father, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do and what you're already doing in our lives. And we pray this humbly in the name of Christ and all God's people said, amen, amen. So let's just kind of unpack this together. Think about it. Everything has been planned. I saw posters. I saw cards. I heard from you all. I, I've seen social media things. There's so much work that goes into planning, even a regular Sunday morning, to be able to invite to be able to bring people with you, to be able to gather together as the church. And this has certainly happened in this story, in this historical account, that everything was set. All the right people were there. It was happening at the right place and at the right time. But what's interesting is, and this is true, if you have children, you know this, yesterday, right? And that is that things do not always go according to our plan, do they? Think about it for a moment. Moment. There are so many people, and we'll learn more of this throughout the account, but there's so many people who've gathered together in this house, around the outer skirts of the house, and even out into the public whenever you have a situation like this happen. And yet, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit in Luke's life, leads him to focus, guess what, on two people. And brothers and sisters, ma'am, sir, young guy, young girl, as we unfold this, as we see what's actually took place and what happened, I want us to ask ourselves the question. I'm looking at it and saying, God, where do I see myself in this store? Where do I see myself at this table that has been set for Jesus, right? So how, where do I find myself seated at the table? So let's look at the two people and how unbelievably different they are. You ready? Look at verse 36 again. Simon the Pharisee. We find his name a little later in the story. Who is this guy? It says one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him. And so therefore Jesus, of course, goes into his house. And then, of course, he reclines at the table. Now, Simon, a Pharisee, is one of those dedicated. I mean, you don't get more dedicated than a Pharisee. Everyone knew how spiritual they really are. Because, by the way, they dressed the part. They wore the scripture around their necks and on their foreheads and they, they would walk around and do the loud prayers and everywhere they went they would sit in the seat of honor anywhere and everywhere they went. They were polished, they were trained, they were those godly men. As a matter of fact, if this was a typical Sabbath meal, then it was normal to invite in the visiting rabbi, the visiting teacher, and they would bring them in and they would basically grill them. How many daddies we got in here, right? 
how many daddies with daughters we got in here? You know what I'm talking about. You get you get them in there. You get them at the table. It's going to get real. You know what I'm saying? We're about to get, we're get to the depths of some things that are happening. But even if this wasn't a Sabbath meal, and perhaps it was a banquet meal, it was just a get together. But what would always happen in these situations, if there was a visiting prophet or it was someone who was coming through that wasn't a part of their ranks, they would invite them in, set them at the table, and guess what? They would grill them. And all throughout this account, we see that the Pharisee is actually questioning and referring to Jesus as both a teacher or a rabbi and also a prophet. Now, here's what's interesting about this. And this is what blew my mind about church when I first began to pursue and look for Christ as he was drawing me constantly to himself. See, everyone who would read this account... Every person who would have been around when this gospel was being proclaimed, it would make perfect sense if God comes to Sturgis, Mississippi, he's going to go to Jeremy's house, right? Or he's going to go to one of these other preacher boys, you know, and some of these other guys. See, the expectation, right, is that if God or a holy man is involved, then he in fact is going to go to those people, not to anyone else. And yet... For us in our Western 21st century mind, we read this at the beginning and we go, okay, they invited G, a religious leader, invites Jesus over to his house, no big deal. He shows up, he reclines at the table. I don't really know what that means, but that sounds great. You know, what are they having? But interestingly enough, when you hear that this whole account, there's some incredibly important things missing. Just like there's some incredibly important things missing in our local churches. See, there's no mention of value given to Christ at all. He's invited in the home, and there are some basic things that you just do for your countrymen when they come into your house. None of that is even happening. As a matter of fact, there's nothing on Simon's part or any desire for worship to take place, and certainly not joining Jesus on what he's doing. They're bringing him in to figure out if he's worthy enough to be a part of their agenda. Sound familiar? And so, as a matter of fact, the most that Simon has actually done is to be in the same room with the Lord. He was physically present, but there was no connection. Now, you tell me, is that possible? Can you come into a house of prayer, a house of worship, a church, and come to a revival? Come to a Sunday morning gathering where the words preached and people are singing and testifying and praying. And you can sit there and be physically present, but there be no connection at all to God. What about us? Think about it for a moment. All that the table is set, where would I be sitting? So now everybody's like, of course, the Pharisee, this Jesus, he's really from God. He's saying all these crazy things that are amazing to us. He speaks as one with authority. He's doing miracles, of course. And then all of a sudden Luke throws a curveball out of left field. Look at verse 37 and 38. So who's the other person that Luke focuses on? Certainly not somebody that you would expect. 
Even for us, even in our culture, we read this and go, yeah, well, this is going to get awkward, right? Think about it for a moment. Look at verse 37 and 38. There was a woman, and she was in the city, and that actually means something. And guess what? What was she, church? A sinner. Boy, don't you love when you get names and tags and labels? Yeah? Okay, I've got the Pharisee here and I've got sinner chick over here, right? Sounds good to me. And when she learned that Jesus was actually reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster veil of perfume and standing behind him, stop. What? Like, think about this for a moment. This is crazy. Even for our day and age, this doesn't make any sense. Think about it for a moment. We've got the Pharisee who is this polished, amazing, smart, very uh, outwardly religious guy as a leader in the, in, the, in, in the religion. And yet now you've got this woman and she is disenfranchised. She's segregated from the rest of the community. She's an outcast. And she's just going to show up uninvited. So when I began to read this, I don't know if y'all do this, but a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible, it just catches me by surprise. And this is my 25th year of ministry, and I'm still trying to figure it out. And I'm reading Scripture, and as many times as I've read this account, I'm saying, let me get this straight. There's a woman in the city who everybody's referring to as a sinner. We don't even get her name, right? She brought something that we later find out is literally worth almost an entire year's wage. And she brought it to this guy's house, and then she goes in. And all of a sudden, they're around this huge table, and the next thing Luke says that she's not only going to the house, She's gone in the house, she's walked around, and now she is standing behind Jesus in this entire event. Now, think about this for a moment. Actually, in this part of the verse, in the original Greek, it says something like, do, which is like, and behold. You know, whenever you're kind of building the climax of a story, some of y'all are great storytellers. I'm not one of them, unfortunately. But it's basically one of those things where, in the Greek it means, or at least how I would say from Tennessee is, y'all not going to believe this, right? In other words, this is what's based Happen. As a matter of fact, I've said this before. If you really are right here trekking along with us, diving down, all of a sudden we get to this point where you can feel the tension. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you got your Bible in your lap or near you, if you can take maybe your right hand, left hand, if you, and just sort of reach down there a little bit, right to the right side of your leg or left side of your leg. Go ahead and do that tonight. You kind of feel that? Yeah, that's the edge of your seat. You may want to kind of go ahead and slide to the edge of it, right? Because this thing is about to be one of the weirdest services you've ever heard about in your entire life. Think about this contrast. Where do you fit in tonight? Think about it. There's two people, right? You got a man and you got a woman. See, this lady finds out that Jesus, the rabbi and the prophet is available. There's an opportunity to go in and connect with God. But see, here's the problem. In her culture and in their customs, she's not allowed in. 
Well, that don't seem right, does it? It is the way it is. She's not allowed in. The most she can do is go around on the backside, on the outside, and wait till everybody's gone to come in. So you've got man and woman. You've also got Pharisee's house, which is known as basically a house of worship, a house of God, right? And then all of a sudden you've got this woman from the city. Where do you expect Jesus to be hanging out? Then you got, when you look at the Pharisee, who is one of the most influential Jewish leaders, most highly conservative and extremely powerful. And then you got this sinner who is ceremonially unclean due to, usually to a habitual behavior, a lifestyle, really connected to an occupation. I'll let you figure that one out, right? In other words, these two people could not be more opposite. It's like Luke picks the two most extremes of people who are now inside this gathering together. And when you think about it for a moment, what impact did Jesus have on this woman's life? What was God doing in her life in such a way that she was willing to literally embarrass herself, put herself out there in the most literal awkward situation imaginable? So literally for this woman, just in pursuing, just in forsaking everything to follow Christ, you ask, what kind of person does God use? Could God use this lady who is clearly being judged by every single person in the community? Think about it. When you feel uninvited, most of the time that's internally, that's inside your head, right? But what if you find yourself in a situation where you know that you want freedom? You would give anything to be free and to feel love and to feel forgiveness and joy. And it's right there at your grasp. And you find yourself in a gathering like this. So what kind of person does God use? I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, to write this in. We see from this text that God uses a disciple, a follower of him, who's willing to follow Jesus anywhere. Who's literally willing to go to wherever Christ is or where Christ is leading them anywhere. So we must come to Christ just as we are, right? But he loves us enough that he's not going to leave us where we are, but he's going to take us exactly where he wants us to go. Notice for this woman, just in coming to church, just in openly following Jesus, she has to completely die to self. She has to disregard everything about who she is. Listen, this woman's reputation, everybody knows. There's no sneaking in the back door. There's no coming in the side. She's not invited. She doesn't fit in. And yet right here, she is marked twice, actually more than that throughout the text, as someone who is an immoral person, somebody who's missed the mark. Now, many of us post-Christ, we all go, I can relate to that. I know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, Simon didn't know that yet, right? 
So when the Holy Spirit of God comes into our life and we accept Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for us, we see God for who He actually is, holy and righteous and King and Lord, and He's head of the church. Guess what? It's not your church. It's His church. Amen? He's the head. And we see ourselves for who we really are. Right? We see ourselves. We don't look out at everyone else and begin to point this out or that out. I'm looking to me going, yes, I see that my righteousness is as of filthy rags to God. And then there's this dying of self and this living to Christ. Why? Because Jesus alone is worthy of all of our love, all of our devotion, all of our passion that we have in life. He's worthy of it. And here we are. We come from all different backgrounds. And this woman, she disregards her entire, like, I mean, think about it. I don't care how old you are. If you're male, female background, no one likes to be humiliated. No one likes to be in a place where they feel unwanted, where they don't fit, where they don't connect. So just in following Christ, this woman just disregards herself altogether. But she also disregards even her own sufficiency. Think about it. The, the scripture tells us, even in other parts of the gospel, tells us that this is a very expensive gesture. She comes bringing a gift that's about to take this whole service to a whole other level. Think about it, church. It's no longer about her and her identity or even her self-worth. Because what's happening right now, even though this is a religious gathering, there's all the right people at the right place at the right time. But unfortunately... In this situation, at least by one person, Jesus, who is God, is not getting the honor that he is due. He's worthy of all honor, and yet he's getting none. He is God, and he's worthy of worship, and yet there's no worship taking place. And if God has worked and moved in your life, you have to give Christ honor in your life. So I think about it. This woman comes in. As she just wrecks every pinch of agenda in that room. And what is our thoughts about her or about him or about them coming into our church, coming into our particular way, my church, my music, my structure, my way of doing things. Think about it for a moment. What kind of person does God use? He uses someone who will follow Christ anywhere, even if it means laying yourself out, not caring at all what someone else thinks about it because it's about Christ. But also, secondly, a disciple who will worship Jesus in every way. Look at verse 38 through 43. This is incredible. I don't know if y'all do this stuff around here. I've yet to see it in a church service, and I'm kind of glad. Partially because Christ isn't physically present, but nonetheless. Let's go on. Look here. And so the sinner woman, the Pharisee, and it says, and watch this, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head 
and kissing his feet while she was anointing them with perfume. See, we, we must come clean with Christ. This fake stuff, this dressing up, this, this, this idea that we're all okay and everything's perfect and, and we come in, I mean, there's a sense when you realize who God is and who we are, there's this, this woman obviously came to bless him. She actually showed up at a religious gathering focusing on an audience of one. Can you imagine? She came to anoint him in worship, but all of a sudden, she just became overwhelmed. <laughs> she just kind of loses it right in the middle of what we would consider as church, right? She's overcome with love and devotion over who he is and what he's done. Look at this, this picture of this fruit, what we understand from Scripture, of, of biblical salvation, of someone whose life has been changed. I mean, it says she, she wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them off with her hair. I mean, there's honor given to Christ as the Son of God. As a matter of fact, culturally, she's throwing it all out the window. As a matter of fact, to even let your hair down culturally in this time, what was so inappropriate, it was even grounds for divorce. Isn't that something? She didn't seem to care. And, and church, I don't know if you've seen The Passion of the Christ. How many of you all have seen that movie in the past, right? Do you remember that one point, it's real churchy humor, where Jesus is, is in the carpenter shop and he's making the table. Do you all remember seeing that part? And he makes the table like you and I are used to. It's like this tall and somebody's like, yeah, that'll never catch on. You know, and all the church folk are like, <laughs> right? You know, you remember that part. Why? Because the table was very low to the ground. And so when it says they reclined at the table, and I'm older now so I can't show you and then get back up, right? But they would lay down, Jeremy, and they would put their elbows on the table. Did y'all hear that, grandmas? It's okay. Jesus did it. I'm just saying. They put their elbows on the table, they would climb at the table, and they would curl up just like this, right? So when this woman is standing behind Jesus, and, and it says that her, her eyes are just pouring tears, She's so overcome with just gratitude for His grace. She's pouring water, and the Bible says her hair down, and she starts wiping His feet with her hair. Guys, what woman do you know is going to get her hair dirty? Come on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, even there. And what part of His feet is she wiping if He's sitting there reclined at the table? Which part, church? The bottoms. So what happened? He comes to the door, and you're supposed to have someone wash your feet at the door as you come in, right? So here he is, the Son of God, sitting at this table, trying to fit in, or at least they're trying to fit him into their agenda, and here comes this woman who's not even invited, who's worshiping him in spirit and in truth, and she just becomes overwhelmed. Even to the point of kissing his feet, this humility of self, there's absolutely no shame for intimacy with Jesus. It's like the ultimate display of reverence and repentance and gratitude and the very thing she came to do. It says she began to anoint even his feet with perfume. There's this holy worship of God. And everyone knows that the anointing that would happen and take place with those who were uh, ritual leaders and, and they would smear the oil on the head 
of someone who is being installed in either a new authority or a new office or a new role. Sound familiar? She has the prophet, the priest, the king right there. And she finds herself literally anointing his feet for already who he is. Doesn't the Bible say but be, how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news? And here's this woman this evening where you and I sit. Ask yourself, brother or sister, is there honor for Christ in our life? When we gather together and when we go from this place, is there humility toward Christ and toward the way that we see and that we treat others? Am I committed to God through a holy life that I'm willing to follow Jesus anywhere and I'm willing to worship him in any possible way that I get the opportunity? Think about it. Right here, right now, you would think that Simon and the other leaders would have just stopped the agenda and said, all right, pause, cut the program. It's almost time to go. If you got to go, go ahead and bounce. Nobody's going to be mad. It's cool, right? But right here, they would have stopped and broke out into worship. Is that what your Bible says happened? Sadly, no. Look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him that she is a sinner. Can you imagine? They're sitting at the table, they're watching this unfold, and this guy doesn't even proclaim it out loud. He's saying it to himself, right? He's judging Jesus. He's reasoning with himself while this woman is actually honoring the king. He's sitting there griping and complaining about what's happening, and yet he's judging Jesus and the woman, and yet he's the one who is sitting there condemned. While this woman is worshiping Jesus as the Redeemer. See, this contrast is no different than today, beloved. Know this, there's two types of people that are here gathered. There's those who are present and those who receive the gift. There's those who are there and those there who are there in and with Christ. Where are you and I seated? This right here is one of the most radical shifts, one of the most amazing testimonies I've ever read in my entire life. And it's right here in Scripture, verse 40. So what does Jesus do? Don't you hate it when God answers you when you didn't say nothing out loud? Look at verse 40 and 43. Jesus tells a story in his response. I want you to, to look at this, right? And Jesus answered Simon, which is kind of funny. Can you imagine you just were thinking it and he answers you? Awkward, all right? He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon replied, say it, teacher. And he said, a moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay him, he graciously forgave them both. So, which one of them loved him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. 
Do you know the value of love? The value of forgiveness? I mean, we literally heard that in the children's sermon, which just was amazing this morning about how we're valued. When you understand the love of God and the forgiveness, I mean, you have one person who owes only like two months wages while another person owes a year and a half, and they're both forgiven. Which one's going to love more? You don't even have to be saved to figure that out, right? Which is exactly what happened. The extent to which you and I have been forgiven is expressed in how we love not only God, but how we love others. So where are we seated at the table tonight? Are we seated with Simon judging and watching and organizing and orchestrating everything to happen our way? Or are we focused on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and say, God is yours. You do with it, you do with us whatever you want. And here's the last thing, very quickly. Not only a disciple who will follow Christ anywhere, not only a disciple who will worship Jesus in every possible way, but also a Christ follower, disciple who will be on mission with Christ everywhere, no matter where they go. Look at this. If verse 44 does not blow your mind, you're asleep. Amen. Look with me. Jesus, after he tells the story, look what happened. Turning toward the woman. Stop. Where's the woman right now, church? She's behind him, right? What's she doing? She's worshiping. She's weeping. She's she's uh, wiping the hair, uh, his feet with her with, with her hair. Looks. He turns toward the woman. Watch this. He turns and looks at her, and he says to Simon. <laughs> His eyes are on her, but he is speaking to Simon, and he asks one of the most hilarious questions. He says, do you see this woman? <laughs> what woman? Right? Whoa, is there a woman in here? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see this woman? He's looking at her. He's focusing on her, but he's using her life to witness to everybody else in the room. He says, I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears, and she's wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, the normal greeting. Jeremy and I were used to this in New Orleans. Everybody did that. Freaked me out being a Georgia boy, right? But it's biblical. Right there on the cheek as you come in, it's a sign of covenant and friendship. He says, you gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. This is still happening. He says, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. And watch this. For this reason, I say to who, church? To you, to Simon. He says, for this reason, I'm telling you, Simon, that her sins, watch this, which are many, have been, past tense, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Notice Jesus does not uh, dispute the fact or ignore the fact that she's a sinner. Guess what? She must be kin to me. She's quite a big one. 
He's looking at her, pointing at her life, teaching everyone else by this girl who's not even invited. And he said, look, look, watch. Her sins, they have been forgiven. Her sins, all of them, they're many. How would you like to have Jesus say that about you in front of everybody? Amen? Right? But see, his grace revealed through faith and repentance changes everything. So here is this woman whose life is being used for the glory of God simply because she finally got to the point that she didn't care about what anybody else thought. It was going to be about Christ. It was no longer going to be just in a song or just in a testimony or a Sunday school class. It was going to be 24-7. Because when you sell out to Christ, when you really get loved and forgiven and empowered and equipped, God will take you and he will take your life even when you're not doing it for anybody else and he will point to it and teach people like me who constantly get bombarded and get caught up with all the stuff in church and then verse 48 we close with this look at, look at this then he's still looking at her by the way then he said to her your sins have been forgiven. Have you heard Jesus say that to you? Not in an audible voice, but much louder. And your response and your belief and your responding to his grace is, has Jesus showed you that your sins have been forgiven? And then verse 49. This is so good that I'm not God. I'd have wiped them all out. It'd been done. It's over. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, I think I would have learned the first time, right? Who is this man? Who is this man that even forgives sin? And Jesus doesn't even bother talking to the folk anymore. He looks at her still, still looking at her. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. My, my, my. She was uninvited by all the right people who should have known better. But she was invited by Jesus come sit at the table with him. A most unlikely candidate to experience revival. The most unlikely person for God to just use their life to bring him glory and to help other people to come to Christ. So where are you, beloved? Where, where, where are we at the table? Am I leaned over trying to shimmy over to Jesus as close as I can and trying to whisper to him all the things that I want and all the things that I'm upset about? Or all I want to do is just worship him. All I want to do is let other people see that no matter where you've been, what you've gone through, what you've done, He can make you whole. He can not only forgive you, He can not only bring you to new life, but He can use your life to help those in your family, 
come to know Jesus. God took the worst person in our family that embarrassed everybody. He took the worst person in my family and he saved him. And I didn't even know that there were two testaments. But I knew this. I knew if Jesus will save me, he'll save anybody. And I just began to tell people, I didn't even know you were supposed to keep that quiet. I'd never been to church before. I just knew my life had been changed and everybody had to know it. Everybody had to know that he is real and that he is true and that he is good and that he is God and that he will literally not just turn an individual's life upside down, but if a church will really fully and utterly believe that, then when we come back into these doors and we gather together, there's no pretenses, there's no pretending, there's just openness and love and raw and truth. And you better believe we got someone else with us because we should not be the only ones to know Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we bless your name. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for the power and the purity of the gospel. That the very account that we have seen was even before you laid down your life to die in our place. One who had never sinned for someone like me, who was not only born a sinner, but had perfected it from some that even the religious people wouldn't even invite anymore, and I don't blame them. But I needed you, and you came for me. And Father, I believe that even in this room, there is someone who may have been sitting around this table, per se, for years. And they need you. They know that even tonight, if God, if you were to come back and, and you were to call upon them to leave this earth, that, oh, God, help, but they would split hell wide open because they don't have a relationship with you, Jesus. I pray, Father, in the holiness of this moment, in the purity of this moment that we have, God, seen through your word and through the power of your spirit to just lay ourselves open and down and God, regardless of what anyone thinks or what's happening in our life, but God, that you would move. That even now, God, I sense through these saints that are gathering here, that are praying, that are working so hard, that God, even tonight, even as we have launched into this incredible time of prayer and, and, and supplication and, and revival, and, and God, that you're going to use us, that even this night, God, we are going to see and we're going to hear people crying out to you, praying for Father, that God just laying whatever it is that's causing us to just find ourselves just stale and still and willing to move. And so for those who have yet to experience forgiveness, for those who have yet to repent of their sin and say, Lord Jesus, here I am. I don't know all the right words. I don't know all the right things to do, but I just want to give you my life. And you promise, Jesus, that whoever calls upon you will be saved. Lord, you promise that if we believe in you and we, that you, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
that we will be saved. And whoever calls upon you, Lord. So I pray that even now, as Pastor Jeremy comes, and Lord, as, as our counselors come, that God will go into a time of worship, a time, Father, where, God, you would just move, whether we have been following you for 50 years or maybe for five minutes, God, that you would move and that we would repent of sin. And God, we would re sacrifice everything in our life and just say, Lord, we rededicate our heart, our life to you, God, and just move among us in a way that only you can. So, Father, as we go into this time of invitation, may we stand, may we kneel, may we come to the altar, may we take someone by the hand. God, don't let us leave this place without doing business with you. We pray these things in the powerful and the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Beloved, in a spirit of prayer, would you please stand tonight? We're going to go into a time of invitation. And this invitation is for everybody, myself included. So you just move as God's leading you tonight, and let's all do business together with Christ. Thank you for listening to this Friday bonus episode of the Friend of God podcast. We know that your time is the most valuable commodity that you possess, and we are enormously grateful that you chose to share it with us. If you would like to know more about Friendship Baptist Church, please visit our website, friendshipsturges.com, or our Facebook page at facebook.com fbcms. Both links can be found in the show notes below. If you would leave a rating or review of our new podcast, we would be very appreciative. And if you would go as far as to share it with others, we will be eternally grateful. We pray that you have a God-filled weekend and remember, love God, love people, and reach the world.